Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Schindler. Today is May 1st, and we have our first podcast in the month of May coming up today. Uh, I'm joined today by Jeff Siegel of Early Bird Rights and Caitlin Cooper from Indie Cornrows as well. Uh, guys, how are you doing today? Uh, you know, just trying to stay healthy and, and stay busy and everything everything's good. I am doing well, and FYI, for people here, there is a kid honking a horn on a bike again, so <laughs> if I start having a bad take, then we can just say, well, I've got honked out of the, the Zoom call, so. Yeah, that's, a, you know, we got to start having that anytime I do a podcast. It's just like a little fake horn on the side, so the bad take horn, just to save you last minute. So When uh, I get a cap figure wrong, it can just deduct points. <laughs> <laughs> that's what editing is for. So today, I, I wanted to bring you guys on. It was uh, kind of last minute. I really appreciate you both coming on. The tweet came out from Ian Begley, SNY. Uh, opposing teams, this is the quote, opposing teams are keeping an eye on the situation in Indy uh, in regards to, the, uh, you know, the number got released today on an extension that was given to Victor Oladipo before the season, four years, $20 million. So uh, just about the exact same number he's making now. And he obviously declined that. And I think that's just kind of what I wanted to talk about, about today. I think uh, my first reaction to this, when I saw it, I, I immediately texted Tom, our editor over at, uh, at Indy Cornrows. I was like, do you think that this is, you know, like legit rumblings? And, you know, after really thinking about it, I was like, you know, this makes sense. You know, it, was, it, it, it took a minute to register. You know, it's before the season. So it makes sense that it would be a number like that. They haven't seen him play yet. He's coming off injury. What are the first reactions you guys kind of had? Uh, I mean, for me, you know, four for 80 sounds really, really low for Victor Oladipo. I mean, yeah. considering what he is and what he brings to this team and, you know, what not just like what he means to the franchise, but just like literally what he is on the court. Um, you know, obviously he was coming off the injury. We don't, we didn't really know, you know, what he was going to look like on the way back. But, you know, if, if we know anything about Victor Oladipo, it's that like he's willing to, to put the work in and, and you saw the, the transformation that he made after arriving in Indiana and being, Coming a max level player and four for 80 is not a max level player that's not even the maximum they could have offered him so i you know i would have been you know i obviously he rightly turned that down and and you know from bagley's point of view we don't really know like how far those talks really got it was basically like mm -hmm. oh indiana offered him four for 80 and he turned it down and is that all that happened or you know there's some some question there so you know it's uh you know it to me it was like yeah there's no way he was going to take that contract Right. So, I mean, Jeff, feel free to hop in here if I'm incorrect, but like he can take it. He could have taken a 25% raise if they had done that in an extension, correct? On what his current salary is. It's 20%, but yeah, 20%. it would have been $25 okay. million. 20, 25 million. Yes. Out. I should have. I'll honk the horn really quick. <laughs> yep. I've already, I've already getting honked, but yeah. So it, it's a little bit interesting that they offered below what he would have even been eligible for. Cause that's, that's less than he's going to want to be able to take if he goes clear to free agency. So um, I wasn't surprised clear back when, I mean, it's not necessarily new information the numbers, new information. Cause I, I think Zach Lowe had that they had kind of broached those types of talks, which, which makes sense because, you know, who, who knows how, um, confident Victor necessarily was in, in his knee coming back. Maybe you want that security up front. If you, after going through such a traumatic injury, but then to offer him less than what he was eligible for, um, that's a little bit eyebrow raising for me. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think that was uh, one of my friends actually sent me the tweet and that was, I was kind of aghast. It was like a total low ball. Once again, I mean, it's still obviously coming off injury a little bit murky. Uh, you know, I think mainly since this happened beginning of the season, I'm not really worried about like locker room effects or anything like that. Cause obviously we already would know, uh, brings up just a lot of questions about 
the way that this, the core for this team and the way that the cap's structured generally moving forward, uh, how the team builds around it. I think it, it leaves more questions than answers for me, at least, because obviously even if Victor did accept the money that he was offered, you look at that and that's so just in him, Brogdon, Turner, and Sabonis, that's $79 million locked up which does not necessarily leave a ton of wiggle room when you add in that both Lamb and Warren, whose deals are through the end of 21-22, uh, you add that together, six guys, $102 million, seven off the cap. I mean, obviously, the cap could raise a little bit. At the same time, it kind of leaves me pondering a little bit what the team does building moving forward because I, just you know, by my current assessment, uh, we obviously haven't seen Victor you know, full throttle back to himself yet, but it's not a, a core that I think – is within the realm of possibly making NBA Finals. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think like you can, if you had Victor Oladipo back at you know all NBA level, Victor Oladipo, and you've got the rest of these guys around him, I mean, that's pretty close to a, a high end contending team. I mean, it, it seems to me like you could you. I mean, I, I can see a situation where you know a, a Brogdon Oladipo Sabonis Turner Pacers team makes a a legitimate run at the NBA Finals. Like that's not. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility for, for a team with Oladipo back at full health. Obviously, that's the, the big question mark right now. That's why, you know, why we would have this kind of conversation. That's why perhaps teams are sort of looking toward the Pacers as a potential place to pick off some of their better players. Because if Oladipo's not there, then this team gets really expensive for like maybe more of a second round team rather than a, a conference finals or NBA finals type of team. So, you know, it, it does come down to that, you know, that star player, that star talent and Oladipo is that guy for the Pacers. So, you know, where he is in his recovery, they know better than anybody where he's at. And so, you know, he's going to be the, the key around, you know, which all of this sort of, of rotates or, or orbits. Right. I mean, I, I think they really needed, this playoffs, like I'm, yeah. I'm not saying they should do it without it being safe, obviously, but like pretending that none of this stuff in the rest of the world is going on. I think they really needed that to evaluate where they are with, with Miles and Sabonis because you look at it now. I mentioned this number on another pod, but just against the other top five teams in the East, Milwaukee, Toronto, Philadelphia, Boston, Miami, that pairing's minus 10.2 per 100 in the minutes they've been on the floor, which obviously there's caveats there. Victor didn't play in several of those games and Brogdon was even out for a few, but I think that I think they still have to evaluate the overall fit there. And if there isn't a better option at a four spot that could ultimately elevate what one or the other of them does at the five. And, and now because you don't really know what the timeline of this season or even next season is, would you have time? Like if you, if you don't get to see them in a playoffs, would you even want to be considering making a trade before next season? If you do see them in the playoffs, how much time would there be? And to me, there's, there's a lot of questions going on too with, you know, where the salary cap and the luxury tax are going to be a year from now. And there's just so many balls in the air with what, what direction you would want to go. Like if you're ultimately going to go to a, a Victor team, cause you're going to have to, if you think you're going to have to move one of them, that it's too rich to have that foursome in a group. If Herb Simon makes that decision, then isn't that going to kind of, you're, you're going to want that information to be able to inform on what type of a trade you would look for, for like a miles Turner, especially if you don't necessarily know what Victor's intentions are right now. Cause let's say you bank on a Victor team. You don't know if he's going to resign in 2021. It seems like you'd want to know that. Cause what you go after for miles today to strengthen a team, to be a win now team that Victor would want to resign for may not be the same thing that you would go after for miles. If you knew, Oh, 
Victor isn't staying and maybe you're going into more of a rebuild mode with, with Sabonis. I mean, I don't know. I just think there's a lot of things that every team doesn't know right now. Yeah, that's a good point in terms of the, the financials going forward. You know, right now, the sort of the, the talk that I've heard around the league is that by 2021, we should be relatively fine. And that's the year that they really need to sort of plan for with Oladipo's free agency coming up. So at least for, for the 20-21 season, they're pretty much set. Like they're, you know, they're about $14 million from the tax you know, eight million if the, if all of their bonuses hit, which is you know relatively unlikely based on the bonuses that they've got. So they've got a little bit of, of squeeze. You know, they've got to squeeze their money a little bit uh, for this upcoming summer. But it's really when Oladipo hits free agency the next summer. That's when the big decisions are going to have to be made. And you know, as long as things continue on the current path that they're on, we should be through all of this by the time the twenty one twenty two season opens, and by the time that they need to really make those decisions. And so financially you know, the, the, the uh, financial situation should be a lot better by that point. That's still, you know, that's, they, they still need to, to green light a massive bill, you know, past Herb Simon and, you know, the, the ownership group. And, you know, they're right now from, from my projections, they're about 50 million, 51 million from the tax in 21, 22. That includes nothing for Oladipo. That includes nothing for, for Doug McDermott, who would be a free agent. That includes nothing for Justin Holiday, who's a free agent this summer. You know, TJ Leaf, TJ McConnell, further down the roster. You know, that's and, and that also doesn't include their 2021 draft pick. They, they will, they should, if unless they trade it, have a first round pick that year, since the uh, the one from this year should be sent out. So, you know, Oladipo, if he's a max guy, that's 37 and a half million dollars out of that 51 right there for one guy, and that's the ninth guy you have under contract. You've got a first round pick. You've got you know a a you know, the, the non-taxpayer mid-level, and then you're right at the tax. Is that going to fly? Is that going to be able to, you know, are you going to be able to, to put a, a coherent team around, you know, Oladipo and these guys? Is that going to fly in terms of the, the expense of, of a team like that? You know, we'll, we'll have to see, I think, something about, you know, I think as we see them go through this summer, what kind of spending they're, they're allowed to do this summer will sort of inform how close are they willing to go to the tax? Are they willing to even go over the tax if they think that this team is a you know, championship-level contender? That, that's, I think that's the, those are the sort of things to watch from the Pacers this year and next year. Like say- several times they'll ask, um, they'll ask questions of Kevin Pritchard about whether you know, Herb Simon would be willing to spend, and they, they've kind of indicated that if, if they thought it was a winning team that he would be willing to go into the tax. But, you know – Obviously, there's tweets coming out this week that he wants to reopen malls in 40 states while all mm. this is going on. Yeah. So that's all I'm going to say about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty indicative. Uh, it's just a really interesting crossroads because you go from, I mean, this team two years ago had one of the most promising cap sheets in the, in the NBA. And I'm not saying that it's just, just like all gone to hell now, but it's, it's just kind of wild how it's flipped up because you go from Old Depot being an all-NBA guy making like, uh, just about 20 million, maybe sub a year. So he was way overplaying his value. Uh, TJ Warren on his deal currently, definitely overplaying his value. Uh, and so when, I don't know, I feel like this is kind of how the team really capitalizes on the cap. I mean, it's it's not a big market. They capitalize by finding guys who uh, maybe their contracts don't value them as well as they could. And that's how we get as much as we can out of out of players. And I think it just presents a really... I don't want to say a conflict, but it's definitely just murky waters looking at it going ahead. Yeah. And I mean, the one thing about 
uh, Herb Simon from the past, like he's paid the tax in the past. So it's not like he's one of these small market owners who has never paid the tax, who is, you know, treats the tax like Michael Jordan does, where it's like, absolutely not under no circumstances are we going to do this. They paid the tax in like 03, 04, 05 in that area when they, uh, you know, when they, when they were a competitive team, Ron Artest and, you know, obviously everything that happened with that, but like they were mm-hmm. paying the tax during those years. They paid the tax for Paul George and Roy Hibbert earlier this decade. Like when they're good, when they're at that level, they, you know, he's been willing to pay the tax in the past. You would think that if Oladipo is back healthy and he commands a max contract, they're going to be willing to do that again. You know, obviously the numbers are that much bigger, but also the revenue numbers are that much bigger. So it's all sort of a percentage of, of revenues. So you would think that, you know, they're willing to, to push a little bit into the tax when the, you know, when the time is right. And, you know, if Oladipo is healthy, the, the time should be right right now. Yeah. I, uh, I would, I'd fully agree with that. It's, uh, it's really interesting too. I mean, with, uh, with, with Milwaukee going on, I mean, we have not shown a ton of ability to, to really handle Milwaukee too well. Uh, Giannis's free agency is obviously next year. Uh, same as Victor's. Uh, I don't know. Just the, the whole landscape of the East is and the way that it could be changing with the Toronto kind of influx a little bit. Uh, potentially this summer with with their Darth free agents. Boston still uh, has potential options. Hayward's probably going to opt into his player option, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's just the way that this team could build out moving forward. I'm, I'm just not not really sure how it's going to go. So it's really just like I mentioned earlier, just a lot of questions coming up from it. Yeah, I mean, you're going to need the leap from Oladipo back to where he was, and you're going to probably want one of Sabonis and Turner to make like the, you know, the full-blown leap to being a, a low-end, all-NBA, high-end, all-star type of, of guy. And, you know, Sabonis was an all-star this year. You know, you know, how much of that was deserved, obviously, was a little bit of a, a conversation around the league this year. And, and you know, he, he was maybe an all-star in the East and maybe perhaps not an all-star in the West. But if he, you know, if, if he and Oladipo, you know, really gel together and, and you know, he picks it up a little bit on, on the defensive end as well, then that's a, a tandem that really works. And then, you know, Turner, Turner's got to be that guy who can match up with a, with a Giannis. Like you've seen how Giannis struggles with really big, really long, tough, physical guys. And Turner has all of the physical traits, but doesn't necessarily seem to have that sort of, you know, physical toughness that you, that you really need against a guy like Giannis. You would think based on Turner's length, based on, you know, the, just the, 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 his size and his physical attributes that he would be a guy who could, hang back and play that sort of Al Horford type role against a, a guy like Giannis. But, you know, like you said, that hasn't really come to fruition quite yet. And, you know, who knows where Giannis is going to be. If he goes West, then all of a sudden things really open up for, for the Pacers in 2021. So, you know, you don't want to necessarily build everything around Giannis because you don't really know where he's going to be. But there's, you know, Turner is sort of that prototype that you would want to use against a guy like that. But he hasn't been able to, uh, you know, really get that job done yet. That's interesting because – um, all the matchups against Milwaukee were a little bit different because in the first game when they played them, you'd notice that they were using Sabonis as they they actually had to match up some possessions with Wesley Matthews, and then they'd have him help off and double as the center whenever Giannis caught it in the post because Wesley isn't too apt to put the ball on the floor. And then in the next game, and that was with Malcolm being used as Giannis's primary defender, which in my opinion was too big of a workload with him having to mm-hmm. – constantly be attacking into Milwaukee's no-fly zone to be getting drive and kick opportunities. But then in the in the last most recent game, I guess I should say, they did put Miles on Giannis, and he tied him up. They had three jump balls in that game. He limited him pretty decently, more than what we've seen where, where 
the Pacers were more willing to experiment with, with cross-matching that. Some of the issues, if you look at some of the numbers, come on the other end where you're not getting to actualize Miles as a stretch five with the two of them on the floor because Brooke Lopez is never guarding Miles. Brooke Lopez is guarding the bonus. So if you want to be able to get, you know, hit them at their pressure point with a stretch five shooter, you're not – fully getting there plus the Pacers aren't a team if you look at Milwaukee's like eight losses they all have something in common which is the team shot like 15 of 30 made at least 15 threes on 35 attempts and the Pacers aren't a high volume three-point shooting team so like some of it was more actually on the offensive end but I I, I see Jeff's point and that was really the first game where we saw Miles kind of take that step to be what you're saying Al Horford or even in prior last season what you kind of saw what the Sixers did with having Joel Embiid guard him or sometimes what teams will do a Siakam too and and the Pacers really have only just started to look at that because typically Nate McMillan goes with more traditional defensive matchups but offensively I still have questions about the overall pairing and how they space even though some of it's been better here and there throughout the year. Something that, you know, I talked about with, with you on the last pod we did together, Caitlin, I think having, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously as we talk about with offense, having a, a true four or somebody who's more of a, like a stretch guy, it creates a lot more uh, that you can do on the offensive end, but especially looking at like Boston, I mean, Boston's going to be together for a while. They have Tatum Brown uh, and we, we've seen how difficult it is to defend that. Uh, I'm, I'm diving into TJ's film a little bit to, you know, discover more of him as a defensive player, but we, we really don't have a true, I don't want to say lockdown. I mean, you don't necessarily need a lockdown guy on the perimeter. Victor is that guy against uh, smaller wing players, but ha- having guys who can, who can actually play pretty perimeter, obviously important. And uh, I think that was one of the biggest problems against the Bucks when have, having Sabonis having to come into the post to double leaving corner shooters open. I mean, that's Milwaukee's bread and butter this year. And the way that they were able to kick out the ball, uh, kick around and get completely open threes, open up driving lanes. Yeah, I mean, I'm just reiterating, reiterating the same thing a little bit, but it's uh, definitely definitely a worry. Everything comes back to Turbonus a little bit. Yeah, the Boston matchup, that's an interesting one too because when they played in December, they only played Miles and Sabonis together like I want to say about 14 minutes and they went small for the majority – and really won that game with their bench because Boston doesn't have as much bench depth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in a, in a playoff series, you're probably going to play your top guys a little bit more. So that would kind of be an interesting dynamic of can the Pacers play deep in a playoff series or are all the top guys going to be getting more minutes because Boston goes to their top guys more often. But and in, in the most in the last game of the year before this went on hiatus, they played Miles and Sabonis closer to 30, which was another – big departure from where they had been earlier in the year. And, and they looked more often to attack some of those switches, but then on the other end, as you say, they had some trouble guarding the wings. They didn't have a great, they don't have a great player to check a Tatum. TJ Warren's definitely made strides. He competes on that end. And Malcolm, I think is better. He has his warts on the defensive end, but he's better served guarding um, wings than he is point guards one-on-one. But yeah, I mean, I think ultimately, they have to see what the, the, the double center t- tandem is going to look like in a higher stakes playoff series versus what it looked like a year ago, which quite frankly against Boston, it was not good. Numerically, based on the numbers, it wasn't good. And based in practice and what you were seeing on the floor and the fact that they weren't really running sets for the two of them a year ago, they still don't run a ton of sets for them at the same time this year, even though – Miles has taken more corner threes and, and being used more traditionally as a stretch four. But 
that's evidence that I think that they needed. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree. My closing thought is to the NBA GM, hire Jeff. <laughs> I think this podcast is evidence of why you should hire Jeff. And even though I'd be sad because I need, I go to early bird rights all the time and I, I need that to be public domain so that I can continue going there and trying to educate myself. I mean, for, for on my end, I mean, I think the, uh, the, the TJ Warren thing is really interesting in terms of just, you know, how much more room does he have to grow as, as that, you know, sort of three and D score and D sort of defender where he, you know, really made that, that leap this year is, does he have sort of a, another leap in him to, to become that sort of not totally lockdown wing defender, but he, you know, he can, he can bring some of that to the table with uh, against, against the Celtics, against, you know, Jason Tatum and, and Jalen Brown, you know, perhaps that you know that's a guy that comes in the draft uh you know in in 2021 obviously you don't really want to you know rely on a rookie uh, you know on a, on a contending team but you know there are some some defensive prospects coming into these next few years out of the draft that uh, could help in in that perspective as well so at some point they're, they they may have to make that decision between Sabonis and Turner I don't know that they're quite there yet and and like like Caitlin said earlier in the in the show it's hard to it's hard to know without having, you know, multiple playoff series, whether this thing is going to work or not. And, and the hiatus has really messed with the, their, that, that evaluation period. And even if the, 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 the league comes back and they're playing, you know, two out of three or three out of five, it's just it's a smaller sample than you would really have, have, have liked to, to have had if you had a, a normal situation this year. Yeah, it would be really hard to take uh, anything that goes on in the playoffs. Not to say that you can't take it seriously, but even if somebody was to be crowned NBA champion, uh, there's always going to be an asterisk next to it. Uh, and the same thing with pretty much anything that goes on in the playoffs. Um, so once again, I'll reiterate what Caitlin said. Uh, somebody hire Jeff because his stuff is really good. I, I, I go to early bird race for my stuff as well. Uh, guys, thank you so much for coming on here today. Uh, I really appreciate it. Um, to all of you out there listening, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe anywhere else you can get your podcasts. Uh, check out our articles on Indie Cornrows. I'm sure Caitlin is cooking up something pretty awesome right now. I just dropped something today. Uh, and check out Jeff's stuff at Early Bird Rights. Uh, thank you. Have a great day and go Pacers.